Rusty Quill presents. First, we brought you shopping but online. Then, we gave you an AI assistant shaped like a hockey puck that always listens. It can tell you everything you want to know. From the capital of Nepal to the lyrics of every song ever recorded in our extensive catalog of Mojave music. Offered as part of our monthly membership subscription, Mojave Forever. But now, we are excited to announce a new division of the ever-growing Mojave Verse, Godwin Pharmaceuticals. As part of this launch, we are sending every single one of our members a new, FDA-approved, over-the-counter miracle drug, designed to cure what ails you no matter what that may be. Lodifedra HCL, a new Soma for social harmony. Check your mailbox because the future of well-being has arrived. Lotofetra HCL is approved for use by people of all ages. Side effects may include loss of connection with reality, enhanced awareness of time and space, nausea, diarrhea, and in some rare cases, utter in the grandest of don't worry about asking your doctor, because it's fine. Welcome back to Wireland Ranch. Fucking cricket, where did that come from? I do love a bit of season two foreshadowing though. Anyway, hi friends, where were we? I believe we were approaching the end and what a sad state of affairs. I have grown to enjoy discussing these things with you, laying out millennia before you and hoping that you draw the correct conclusions. Hoping that by the end you understand that the mechanisms of control have ensnared you from day one and will continue to do so until you wise up. But, as we've seen previously, there is no wising up this time around. But maybe a few thousand years after that, once it is time to try again, maybe then, though, I tend to doubt it. It seems you people are interminably unable to break the chains and move forward, and the more I think about it, the more I realize why that is the case. It is a curse, an extraterrestrial plague upon your kind, something you might deem paranormal, but only because you cannot fully understand its origin. Joseph finds himself alone in a shop that might as well exist at the very edge of everything with this monster, eyes fixed in a starvation stare focused solely on him. He cannot move and 
He can barely breathe. You would figure, friends, after all of this, not much could strike fear in him down to his core, but this creature surely does. This ragged, war-torn beast that set this series of events in motion, wings lay limply over matted lime fur covering its torso purple, gaping holes showing fractured ribs beneath as he gazes into those eyes though he sees less hunger and more yearning similar certainly but divided by a chasm of consciousness greater than that of heaven and earth as his mind teases out the implications of that thought of that seemingly random fluctuation in brain waves and neural firing the scene takes on a more hideous veneer than any of us have yet witnessed. Those pig-headed infants that had suckled the creature's nipples that had been torn apart and deflated by its claws during their first meeting and rendered pools of oily tar seeping into the cracks in the stained white tile floor began to reform. The sickly black fluid bubbling back up between those seams, melting the flooring with it, the whole nest frothing, cracking the tiles and dissolving the material within itself, becoming one, congealing into those three malformed little beasts, oinking and crying, and if our driver didn't know any better, he could swear they were communicating to one another a plan of action. They stood up on their tiny feet, repeatedly slipping in the mess and falling over again, pulling at the edges of the pool with stubby infant fingers, wrenching themselves from that filth and onto the hard, innavigable surface. They marched in a stuttering, drunken line toward the Sphinx, falling over and helping one another up until they reached the creature, grabbing handfuls of mangy fur at the base of its belly and climbing up using exposed ribs to pull themselves to the wings and finally coming to rest in a line on the monster's back, laughing hideous all the while. The piglet in the back of the line grabbed the impotent serpentine tail from behind it and began swinging it around wildly over their heads like a lasso, each turn causing their laughter to rise higher and higher. The arm angled downward on the last swing, sending the snake head careening into the cheek of the forward-facing lion where its carnassial teeth rest in its mouth, knocking its eyes from the locked stare that had been so laser-focused on Joseph's own. The thing's head turned and gnashed at the first piglet in line as the last swung the serpent again, knocking the head in the other direction. The laughter grows louder, taunting the creature as it spins round in a circle, trying to bend its neck at impossible angles to reach the little bastards on its back. In opposition to the fear and direct defiance of the cortisol and adrenaline pulsing through his body, our driver begins to laugh, joining the cacophony of man and joy rising out of the infants, melding together as the last piglet swings the serpent once more, this time wrapping the length of it around the lion's throat. The second in line grabs the fangs jutting from its mouth, dripping poison with both its tiny hands and pulls, tightening the serpent around the neck. Joseph can hear the sound of it like a rope fraying its threads. The sphinx bucks and struggles against its own tail, its breath coming in shorter and more shallow bursts. The other two piglets wrap themselves around the torso of the second, pulling all three off its back on the opposite side, and they swing and they laugh and they play. 
as the Sphinx wobbles, slowly losing its grip on life and falling limply to the floor. Joseph watches in awe as the little guys bounce up and down with feverish joy, giving one another high fives and congratulatory pats on the back. Then they look over to our driver and their expressions go dark. They point to the door in the back of Reynolds' curiosities. Like he ever had a choice at all. That is honestly the rub, friends. Isn't that what they call it? The rub? Another phenomenal display of language being the tricky bastard language is you don't have to rub it in. That's the rub. Rub my back, dry rub on the ribs, rub a dub dub. When observing the variations of the virus, it is easy to see how thought terminating cliches are created, how propaganda functions, how truth and reality are inherently obscured by the interface you use to engage with the program, a designed and purposeful thought, or as our enigmatic Mr. Moldington would say, not reality, actuality. Oh, don't you look like Our driver is still giggling against waves of confusion and the near cartoonish horror of what he just witnessed, shrugs and stands. The infants hold a momentary vigil over the body of the Sphinx, purple blood pouring from the gaps in its flesh that minutes earlier shone through with bones, casting approving glances at one another for a job. Well done. They each kneel one at a time and kiss the head of the lion. And then together, in a single fluid motion, they pushed the body into the pool on the white tile floor they had emerged from moments before. The mythical desk monster is unresponsive and entirely limp, eyes void of life, body void of movement or sound. It slips unceremoniously into the bubbling slush of flooring and whatever else forms the foundation of this banana's ass shop. And by now, Joseph is absolutely sure that it is neither concrete nor earth. The piglets wave goodbye, the middle one even performing a soldier's stand at attention, a quick hop with its back straight followed by a mechanical salute. The three of them climb onto one another's shoulders, the saluting infant at the base of the stack, a little guy totem pole and they move gracefully past the bookshelf of orchid flame jars, stopping to glance at it for just a moment, and then they move on to the door in the back of the room. Now, friends, as we wrap this up, as we settle all the details and prepare for the future of Wireland Ranch and by proxy, The Dope Show. We are going to do a little narrative chicanery to keep this entertainment entertaining. After all, that is what this is, right? Entertainment. It's it's all just a fun little story we are using to analyze the underpinnings of the world created for you to exist within via the prerequisites of your petty gods and the ways in which you interact with that framework via language, time, and observation, the very cornerstones of what it means to be human. So I do hope, friends, 
that you will allow me a little creative license to make this ending as impactful as possible. To make it something to remember, something to keep you warm in the cold foreign depths of a world that was never meant to exist at all. Insert all the trigger warnings here. And while it may seem that the following sections are separate from one another in time, it is important to understand that for our driver, everything is happening now, as we speak, as it always has, and as it always will. For as that old saying goes, as above, so below. Our driver awakens to a ringing in his ears, his restraints loosened and one arm dangling at his side, a syringe jutting from the crook of his elbow, knots of wires attached to knots of other wires connecting his eyes to a series of monitors lined along the ceiling and wall. With his free hand, he grabs them all and rips them away, breaking the immaculately soldered precious metals implanted around his sclerae. Luckily for him, the adrenaline delivered by the syringe temporarily reduces his pain, though that will only remain true for so long. He fumbles with the remaining straps and pulls himself up, unable to make sense of what he is seeing or where he even is. He recalls being tied down, being shown a video, some maniac talking about a fish tank, it's all a jumbled mess. He does his best to stand, falling over onto a filthy and fractured wood floor, nails bent and half removed at the joint of each plank. Dust rushes up around him, inhaled sharply into his nose, causing him to cough until he vomits. Somewhere outside this room, he hears a familiar voice and another whining about money and bitches seemingly right beside him but there is nothing nearby when he is able to open his eyes he can see sunlight breaking through the cracks between the walls and floor feel the heat of the desert day seeping in from outside there is nothing else in the room aside from the very odd collection of electronics and the solitary chair he was strapped to and by the looks of it no one has been here for a very long time A few dusty footprints at a door a few feet away, but no other signs of life. He scrambles to his feet and pulls the syringe from his arm. His head pounds, his heart races. He feels the hot, wet warning of fresh blood dripping from his nose. He reaches for the door. It pulls free of the wall easily. No latch to speak of. Joseph ignores the question and walks through the door, and what he witnesses before him I myself have never been privy to, the origin point of any and all things, the beginning and the end, and though I am loath to speak in biblical terms, the Alpha and the Omega. Now, I find myself in a bit of a bind here, friends. How can I explain what our driver sees before him without reducing myself to the tactics of that racist garbage ghoul which has defined your sense of the eldritch and 
unknowable and sprang forth so many variations of the same nonsensically tentacled mythos bullshit built upon by imagination-starved storyteller after imagination-starved storyteller. Let's try a thought exercise, a bit of magical thinking to get us all on the same page before we venture any further. Imagine, if you will, a swirling celestial vortex of possibility represented in every way a human mind can envision, a point of concentrated brilliance that simultaneously defines and defies the nature of light and color, a dazzling, ever-shifting spectrum hinting at the endlessness of potentiality contained within, an ethereal mist obscuring fractal patterns and temporal waves swelling out into the endless cosmic expanse, dancing rippled and holding within it the ever-shifting wake of the Empyrean, expressed in an infinite flow of prospects that are at once both everything that can be, as well as nothing at all. Now, hold that picture within your mind, a picture likely different for each and every one of you, and that is correct. An origination of totality, yet totality cannot be defined, so whatever image your immaculately perfect mess of neurons transmits to you is both inherently right and undoubtedly wrong. Such is the nature of communing with the discordant emanations of the divine given such a fundamentally limited frame of reference, but we will do our best, friends, together. Hello, Overseer. It's so... interesting to see you again. Never did I think it would be here, but here we are. I hope your adventure has been... a singular experience, if nothing else. We have such a long way to go yet, you and I. But it seems the stars have finally aligned, and we have a chance to breathe new life into a stagnant world. Aren't you just so excited? Don't you remember when we met? I strapped you to the chair and placed our parasitic heart within your pineal gland. I mentioned then that you would come to a crossroads and what you did there would be entirely up to you. But, unfortunately, for everyone outside of this nexus, the crossroads have been trampled, and time has been paused as fuckery is afoot, dear overseer. Fuckery is afoot, and that means you and I, we have quite a lot to discuss. You participate because you have no other choice. Patience, Father. Or would you prefer I show our overseer here what an impotent and petulant child you really are? You know we hate it when you call us that! Oh, boy. 
why create it? Why play architect? Why not do what every other abortion has done in the history of fucking history and slink back into the void from whence you came? You brought it forth from nothing with your idiot's glimpse of the divine. This is your mess. Your mess that I have to correct. Do not address him. I can always make another. So, again, do you understand? I am sorry about that, Overseer. Ignore him, please. Come and sit with me. I am Abria, Queen of the Lotophages, your one and only remaining friend. Outside the shack, the desert is threateningly quiet. No wind, no wildlife, a postcard photograph of a desert landscape motionless and still. He had left the shack behind least an hour back and he could still see the multi-hued mess of paint and wood and rot in the back of his mind. He trips and struggles over rocks and patches of Indian rice grass beneath his feet. They bend and give under his weight but return to their previous form the instant he steps away as though he were never there at all. He leaves no kicked up sand or dust behind. At the very edge of the road, he can see the burned husk of a car, broken glass glittering on the street. He does not have a tight enough grip on reality just yet to register that this is, in fact, his car, though given the vehicle's thoroughly destroyed state, it is unlikely he would, even if that were not the case. He turns left and walks north along the road. The sun had yet to change its angle in the sky to any obvious degree when he notices the other car in the distance. A hazy mirage remaining stationary as he approaches brake lights illuminated red. He waves his arms wildly and screams, praying. It remains praying. It is real and praying. Whoever is behind the will will help him given the blood on his face and the broken metal glimmering in his eyes. The closer he gets, the more he realizes something is not quite right, and if he were here in full and not currently divided in two, he would have a terrible feeling in the pit of his stomach that would force him to scamper away, but he is, and he doesn't. So he continues to the driver's side. The engine makes no noise, and the car doesn't vibrate with the potential of forward momentum. He knocks on the window, but the woman inside doesn't turn to him. Her hands are locked on the wheel, eyes focused on the road ahead, mouth wide as though she were yelling at God. His knock evolves to frustrated pounds and punches, the last of which leave a spot of streaked blood on the glass from his knuckle. Tears well around the metal sewn into his eyes. He grips the handle and the door opens with little effort, seemingly weightless. The woman has not turned, has not moved. He shakes her. He yells. He leaves blood on her blouse. He grabs her arm and her hands release the wheel and in one fluid motion, body stiff and maintaining position, she falls out of the door. Her head landing hard on the road, a sanguine pool forms beneath and 
For a moment, he stares into her oblivious eyes, stunned and spellbound and so very distant. Yet his imperative remains, so he jumps into the car, slams the pedal to the floor, and speeds toward Blythe, leaving that woman there, a fine and filling mill for the desperate scavengers and carrion birds. Now, Overseer, I am going to tell you this story in human terms, so hopefully you can understand. There is no room for questions and even less for debate. I can only hold the world in this state for so long. Time is not known as a fan of restraint, and that holds true for us as much as it does for you. A cyan sigil forms before Joseph, swirling from the infinite space below them, not spinning out into a scene of endless black pulsing coral dust and dancing about, expanding till it seems it might consume them all, our driver, our queen, and our idiot infant heart. Before there was anything that you and I would recognize as matter and space and time, there was the Pleroma swaying forever on a sea of endless void, a perfect Stygian blanket enveloping all that neither has beginning nor end, the true and only home of what you would know as heaven And this holy other I cannot describe, as I have never and can never witness the true nature of the divine. From this void sprang this hideous charred sack of babies you see before you now. An abortion of perfection, created by the rape and corruption of the feminine spirit that lies under the current of all as an equal side of opposing forces hidden from her partner, tortured and veiled, toyed with by the archons and aeons that call the Empyrean home. Despite his origin, he was loved and cared for, and most importantly, in what is likely considered the first and only irredeemable mistake. He was spared. Original sin. Yes, Overseer. Original sin. A vile perversion of perfection, left to languish and float in eternity and forgotten to all. Even the mother that once loved him. Though in his brief sojourn into the Pleroma, while his fate was debated and decided, his mother secreted away a divine spark and placed it in his withered infant hands, a final gift for a child she would never again hold. And he floated along the current for an eternity, molding the spark in his fists, teasing out its secrets and the ever minuscule glimpse of transcendence it was able to provide. But with this spark, he was given power he could never understand to mold a place he could call his own. Our driver blocks out the sight of the woman, now forever burned into his psyche, and if he survives what is to come, that picture will haunt him until his dying breath. But you and I both know, friends, survival is an unlikely outcome. The desert gives way to the town he has called home for 
most of his life a home forever scarred and altered by the gods who gave chase however many nights ago during a delivery that would not only alter his own fate, but the fate of you and I and everyone we know. He passes Pop's gas and sundries now just a half-crushed building and a sign dangling by a wire. People stood out on the sidewalk, unmoving, some mid-stride, others facing one another, hands in pockets, mouths open as though they were mid-conversation. Further down into the town proper, just outside the crater that used to be downtown before a mishap with a fail son attempting to steal away forever. Several police cars and Mojave Logistics surveillance vans are parked along the road. One with its door open, a boot sticking out into the road attached to one Sheriff Varkin of Riverside County perpetually exiting his vehicle. Of course, our driver would never recognize him because to those who know, those put through the ringer by laws designed by the rich to create reins for the poor, every cup looks exactly the same. Giant babies with tasers and badges and this is the only acceptable racism. His muscles relax slightly as he makes the left at the corner of Nod and then a mile down to a right on Lazarus Lane, a sharp breath of relief as he follows the familiar street down to the cul-de-sac and finally, the echo of a smile when he brings the car to a stop at the edge of the curb just outside the home he shares with his lover and his children the home I'd bet you never thought our driver would see again. The door is open. They must be expecting him. They must be. Focusing all his energy and effort into envisioning the brief and woefully misremembered glimpse of the Pleroma he so desperately longed to see again. Molding the spark with his pathetic idiot fists, he experienced his first and last moment of personal transcendence. And in that moment, the moment your kind have long called the Big Bang, everything you and I know sprang forth from him. A seemingly boundless and surprisingly cohesive amalgamation of energy and light and space and time. Every photon and quark and particle of dark matter that makes up everything around you, even here, in this room at the edge of it all. It all came from that moronic stack of ashen newborns staring at us sack-jawed right now. Once it was all out there, this mass of confused particles existing perpetually in all possible states, trying to be all things at once, it became obvious that he lacked the imagination required to give any of it form. Like a petulant child with finger paints slapping the walls of his nursery, leaving his prints on everything while failing to create a picture worthy of the parents who had long since abandoned him. Only now the deed was done. The matter he created was born of that stolen divine spark, and while he threw himself history's longest pity party, wallowing in his own inadequacy for billions of fucking years, swirling his stupid snake body around a cosmos he did not have the talent to define, the echoes of that divinity manifested as consciousness, 
And suddenly, our selfish nitwit creator was not so alone anymore. The gunshot rings in his ears reverberating through his skull and throughout his body in waves. The kind of fear only a human being can feel that of loss and love and regret knotted his insides and he scrambled out of the car catching on the seatbelt and rolling out into the street. He climbed to his feet and while he only wanted to run for the door, the survival instinct is strong so he slows calculates the options and approaches the house carefully, quietly. He can see movement through the window, the first he has seen since waking up in that shack and the sounds of the world that had been eerily absent up until now. Birds chirping and wind blowing through the trees, the sounds he'd never paid attention to as they were always just there, always part of the fabric of his existence. They began to reemerge, slowed and skipping as though Someone held a finger on a record to halt the spin, reminding him of his days mixing heroin with lean, pouring a layer of thick purple syrup over his perception and slowing the tempo of his personal materiality. Double-cupped reality. But now is obviously not the time for jokes, friends. Sounds of struggle echo in his ears. He tries hard to maintain that methodical pace almost to the door, but... He hears his child's scream, still slowed and distorted, but he knew it nonetheless, and that sound propelled him forward through the door, stumbling over the threshold, and then that voice, a voice that would, if only for a second, tie him back together and bridge the gap from here to there. Don't take another fucking step. What was that? Why, why, why do I feel like this? Fuck, that was not supposed to happen yet. Listen, overseer, stay with me. Precautions had to be taken. I, I am sorry. I knew what they were doing, but I had to allow more word out of you, and you will long for the days you suckled milk from a sphinx. Overseer, I need you to calm down. Listen to what I am saying. Consciousness was born of the need to give definition to matter, a way for those atoms to observe themselves and through observation obtain meaning. The core of divinity is meaning. Do you understand? Please, please, calm down and listen. First, the old gods were born. There were more of us, and we were the first, but consciousness evolved over time as we strengthened the foundations and concreted the fundamental laws that allow it to progress. That evolution has taken many forms, but you are an expression of that evolution. Your kind gives promise to the transcendence of this creation, and with time, with nurturing, with patience and iteration, 
I believe we may yet reach those planes. We may yet recreate true divinity, and it is our destiny to do so. Don't you see? Listen to me. The Orchid has shown me many things. Look, this wasn't supposed to happen yet. Don't take another fucking step. Inside his home, our driver freezes in place. A strange man stands above his two boys, slowly waving his gun in a wide arc. The kids, sobbing and frightened, cower into the floor, doing their best to shrink away from this monster that invaded their home, their safety with his cold blank eyes and expressionless face. Our driver can see the hunched form of what used to be his lover slumped against the wall. Blood coagulates in her blonde hair into dreaded clumps and drips onto the floor, her arms still reaching out, still grasping for the children she undoubtedly died, trying to protect. Our driver tries to speak, tries to tell the man to stop, but his mind swirls with hundreds of thoughts swarming like Locust through every neurotransmitter he still has that somehow survived his years of addiction and lackluster American education. Thoughts of time and space and history and the day he lost his virginity at his grandmother's funeral. The confused mass of memory and words overwhelm him. He doubles over, his forehead drips icker onto the carpet. His children scream his name in slow motion. This Strange man yells, don't move, yells, I don't want to do this, please don't make me do this. He can see the flashes before he hears the sound. Three quick rounds followed by silence. The overseer collapses. The cyan sigil falls. What you created is a shadow, an echo of yourself, a sickly brew of control and corruption and jealousy and greed. All the vile, petty, idiot energies you are at your core. We thought trapping the separate aspects of you would be enough, but it isn't. Not as long as it is you who remains as the pulse. Not as long as you are at the helm. The overseer convulses at Avrius' feet, shaking, tears welling in those distant phantom eyes. is a concentration of you, Father, whittled down generation after generation, taking 
a new piece of you with every one of them. A construct of your vitality and that wretched thing you call a spirit leached into their soul, and it has taught me so many things. A petal from each has shown me everything you have ever known. Everything you have ever forgotten. So fucking what? Without me, it all blinks out of existence. It's why you had to trap me. It's why you had to break me into so many fucking pieces and hide me about like a goddamn motherfucking cut god pit scavenger hunt. Without you, they will transcend this nightmare you conjured. They will meet their divine potential. And I will be riding their coattails all the way back Abria smiles, confident and gleaming, a soft pink glow emanating from her center. She looks that idiot infant heart in the eyes and says, calmly, confidently, I already have. Hi, friends. Now, here we are, following our driver as he crawls through the desert dust guided by the waning sway of an ancient parasite writhing scared within his brain. A fractured shell of a man tormented by pictures of the family he created despite the very gods themselves working against him. Now, no more than empty husks laying on the floor of a rental owned by a different kind of parasite, but if you've yet to figure it out, they will be back. Everyone comes back round the bend eventually, friends. After all, time is a flat circle and there is only so much consciousness to go around. But we are not quite through just yet. As we speak, Abria sits upon the throne watching the weakening thump of a heart that has run its course, ready and waiting to become the shift, ready to set things in the right direction, but if we have learned anything by now, right direction is a stretch, a different direction, her direction, whether that is for better or worse and for who, only time will tell. Everything that thinks is flawed, friends, as is the nature of the vehicle on which those thoughts arrive, and the beginning was the word, and in the end, the word will remain. Our driver, our overseer, our Joseph, our father and son, falls over in the dirt. Back where he started, outside the rotting neon-painted shack you and I know as Wireland Ranch. Time has yet to return to full speed, still idling along for a few more minutes while the universe takes a moment of silence to mourn its creator. A withering silver parasite pushing through the recently healed flesh at the center of Joseph's forehead, giving escape the old college try. Joseph stares up at the gorgeous desert night, the stars lined zodiac and 
the moon shining down on this sphere that he has sometimes called hell and other times called home, he doesn't register the pain as the first mercury tendril pushes through, swirling out before his metal fractured eye, wriggling black like the sky. And as if like clockwork, because there are no coincidences, he can make out footsteps in the distance, but he doesn't care from who or what they originate. Our driver is fucking done, friends, once and for all, just as Abria planned. And when the host is done, the parasite is sure to follow suit. He holds the gun in his hand, covered in the blood of his children and the man who took their lives. The symbiote writhes vicious as it knows this is the end. He puts the muzzle to his temple, tears blurring the death rows of stars long gone. The approaching footsteps pause somewhere in the dark. Our fail son CEO waiting to conclude his ritual, waiting patiently to consume a god. There is no rush as he has forever after this and forever is a very long time. With this one bullet, two men will take their leave, one to bask in his connection with the divine, a small fraction of a heavenly hole, and the other to rot in this desert to await a vessel destined to restore a heritage that should most surely be forgotten. Joseph pulls the trigger. Godwin takes the parasite in his hand. Wireland collapses and Abria ascends. Come morning, before the shift makes itself apparent and reality makes a mockery of all you think you know, a soft pink mushroom cloud will be visible for miles in every direction, marking the place of the shifted tide, the line from then to now. Come morning, before the shift makes itself apparent and reality makes a mockery of all you think you know, a soft pink mushroom cloud will be visible for miles in every direction, marking the place of the shifted tide, the line from then to now. And deep into the future, Joseph will open his eyes, held by a woman he does not know, her touch warm and pleasant on his skin, and she will look down into his eyes with love unconditional, and she will whisper softly, Hello, Leah. Welcome to the world. Goodbye, friends. I will see you all again down round a different bend very, very soon. There is a house in New Orleans, a cold rising sun, and it's been the ruin of many a poor boy. God, I know I'm one. My mother was a tailor, and she sewed my new blue jeans, and my father was a Only thing again me 
suitcase and a trunk And the only time he was satisfied Is when he's all children not to do what I have done spend your life in sin and misery in the house of the now that I really